Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Okay, good morning everybody. We are going to get started here on studying the prophetic wars of Israel and, and really in light of what's going on over there right now in started about nine days ago. I think today is day nine or 10 of, of the war. Maybe, maybe day nine of Netanyahu actually declaring for the first time since 1973, actual war of the Israeli cabinet. So before we get started here, let's, let's open up in prayer and just see what God has for us prophetically out of the Bible and, and what we may be heading into, or we will be heading into at some point in the future. We just don't know if it's now or if he's gonna give us some time to, to continue about his business. Lord, we thank you so much for, again, what you've laid out in your word. God, we thank you for the scriptures, we thank you, God, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, according to John 1.14. And God, as we study all of these prophetic wars that you've laid out in your word, we pray that, God, you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches right now, as you declared seven times in the book of Revelation. So, God, as we study this, may we find ourselves approved and unashamed before you at your coming. And we thank you, Jesus, for this time together. We thank you that you are a God that does not sit back idly, that, Lord, you get involved in the affairs of man, and that you are still a God that's very active and moving within the church right now. And we pray that, Lord, you would continue to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for your return, Jesus. We love you. Be with us during this time, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, you know, when we look on the horizon of what conflict, actually we just, Chris, you know, did a study on conflict, but with conflict rising in God's land, let's not forget that what Jesus said in Matthew 24. When you study Matthew 24 and Luke 21, you might think they're the same discourse, but they're very different. One was to the Jews and was during the day, in the temple, one was uh, to the church, and it was in the evening and on the Mount of Olives. And so the, you have these two different discourses there to two different audiences and two different times. But Matthew 24 and Luke 21, they both have the same list of signs. And those signs, you're all familiar with them, wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. And you go down this list, and that's kind of the central point well, in Matthew 24, Jesus says, well, after these things, and he gives directions to the Jews on how do you survive the tribulation? What do you do after these things? Here you go. In Luke 21 to the church, he says, but before all these things, and he gives directions to the church to look up. When you see these things begin to come to pass, look up for your redemption draws nigh. And so you have these two different discourses and they get blurred together a lot because of that list of signs. Now, 
if you take that list of signs and you marry it to Revelation chapter 6, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the green horse, you have the same list in the same order. False Christs, wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. And so you have this list. Well, in Matthew 24, 6, look what Jesus says. Again, remember, this is to the Jews. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Okay, in Luke 21, 9, the same kind of the, the sister passage, I should say, in Luke 21. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. So we as the church, when you see what's going on over in Israel, we have a very, very ripe opportunity to study God's word and to see, Lord, what do you have for us out of this? Because God is not finished with Israel. He has a plan for Israel. They are his people. He's going to take them through the seven-year tribulation. He's going to return and vanquish his enemies in Revelation 19. He's going to set up his kingdom with the capital in Jerusalem, and we will come back with him and rule and reign on the earth with Jesus. That's, that is our future. But between now and then, there are a lot of things that unfold. You have the rapture of the church, the Holy Spirit, the restraining Holy Spirit goes home. Then the Lord once again starts to work through the planet earth, through Israel. And so when you see all of these wars we're going to study today, when you see how they line up, what I want you to recognize is that every one of them has kind of a consistent theme. And that is that the, the world would see once again, the Holy One of Jacob. And so when you see these wars happening, that are going to turn all of the eyes of the earth back to the God of Jacob, we've got to pay attention. Because if the Lord is once again going to work through Israel on planet earth, that means the church is that much closer to going home. So I hope that makes sense to you. We don't know the time, right? We don't know when the rapture will occur. All we know is that there are some birth pains starting to happen. And as we studied in those 13 weeks of God's prophetic word, as the beast system that's been trying to be set up now for, well, since before 2020, but it's bleeding over into the church age. And then you have this commotion and these wars and rumors of wars going on in Israel. It's just another piece of the puzzle getting put together. And so you've got to be aware and be like the sons of Issachar that you know the times and the seasons in which we live so you know what to do. And right now, we've gotta be about Jesus' business, his business. You and your life, you've got to be about God's business. If there was any wake-up call you ever needed, it should be what you're seeing happen over in Israel in the last nine days. Because they are, they are declaring war against the descendants of Ishmael. Okay, that's, that's, it's just that simple. And so what's going on over there God is moving. He is not going to have that land taken. He is not going to have Israel wiped off the map despite them all wanting to. Okay, so what we're gonna go through is, you know, going through war, it's not a blessing, first of all. Biblically, it seems to always follow acts of rebellion for God's people. And so look at 2 Chronicles 16, verse nine. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. 
Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Okay, God always, he, he promised, remember he promised Israel, as long as you follow my word and my command, you will be in peace and safety. I will take care of you. I will be your defense. The second you get outside of my authority and my word, bad things start to happen. And that's part of the situation Israel's been in for almost 2,000 years now since they rejected Jesus. They, they crucified the Son of God and declared that he is not our Messiah. And since then, they've had a lot of troubles. They've been dispersed all over the world until May 14th of 1948. But now that they are back in the land for 75 years, God is setting up the final peace ready for the end times, and that is Israel. But the Lord's fought a lot of wars. In fact, there's an entire book about the wars of the Lord from Numbers 21, verse 14. Wherefore, it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, what he did in the Red Sea and in the brooks of Arnon. You know, it's a book that we don't have today, but God fights a lot of wars. And when we get to heaven, I hope on the bookcase there in the throne room of the universe, there's the book of the wars of the Lord, and we can just open it up. And I don't know, maybe it'll be some supernatural DVR or something that we just get to rewind and watch Jesus fight all these wars all the way from the beginning. That would be awesome. But he's fought a, a lot of wars. God, Jesus is a man of war, the scriptures declare. And he does not sit back idly and let all this stuff happen. He goes to fight for his people. Remember, he fought the battle at Jericho from Joshua 5 when Joshua sees him and Jesus has his sword drawn and he's there. He's the one that leads the charge against Jericho. God can also make wars to cease from Psalms 46 verse 9. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. So God can make these wars cease of what's going on over there. And we need to pray for that. We need to pray for Netanyahu. We need to pray for Israel. We need to pray that these wars relent and get pushed back, that this is not the time. This is not the time yet. And one of the things that Satan always does, he always tries to take something and move it forward in time. He's been trying to catch the church in the end times since 2020. He tried to usher in the final world empire and the final world be system since 2020 and get the church caught into it. Because if he can work outside of God's timing, then he can, in his mind at least, win somehow. And he's trying to accelerate things. So we need time, we need space, we need God to push these wars back so that the church can rise up and get some more people into the ark before it's too late. We're taught by the Lord to fight though, to go to war for him in Psalms 144 verse one, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Now, you and I, how do we fight our wars today? Spiritually speaking, it's on our knees in our bedroom. It's getting into the word of God. It's girding up with the truth of God's word to be a light unto this world, to go out and to carry the scriptures with us. And then you war against those foul and unclean spirits that you would get involved with all over our community right now. Look at Proverbs 24, verse six. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. Ecclesiastes 3, verse eight. Remember, there's a season for everything. There's a season, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. We need to pray that that time of peace is restored. Now, when you get to Revelation, 
Remember, we're in the throne room of the universe. We get raptured in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. We are in the throne room as the 24 elders. We throw our crowns at the feet of Jesus. God the Father is holding a scroll that no man can open. No man's found worthy to open it. And then we are looking for someone in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth to open this scroll. And no one is found worthy until the lamb that was slain comes forth. Okay, and he comes forth as the lamb that was slain, and he takes the scroll, and he starts to open and unseal it to unroll this sealed indictment on planet earth. And with that sealed indictment, remember it's written on both sides, within and on the back side, which is how you know it's a title deed to something. So the terms of that title deed to redeem it are on the back, and it took the authority of the last Adam, Jesus himself, to take it and to unroll it, and the authority then unleashes judgment on the earth in the time of tribulation, Jacob's trouble, according to Jeremiah, and we are there in the throne room of the universe with him because we're not appointed to wrath. You and I as the church age are not appointed to wrath. We as the bride of Christ are sitting there, Jesus then declaring war on his enemies on planet earth. Now, what does an ambassador do before he declares war? He always brings his people home. I mean, a king, he brings his ambassadors home. So he's gonna bring us home, declare war. And one of the things that he does, look at verse three here in chapter six of Revelation. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. Now this is after the first seal, which is the white horse, the false Christ, from Matthew 24, again, there should be false Christ. The first seal is the white horse, the Antichrist, coming forward. He, according to Daniel chapter eight, by many, he shall, he shall kill many by peacemaking. So he ushers in, something happens that he, he ushers in a brief time of peace somehow after the rapture. So after the rapture, you can imagine the chaos spreading all over the world and the world looking for someone to bring some order to it. Apparently the Antichrist does. Well, then peace is taken from the earth and all these wars break out. So, but remember, it's Jesus opening the seals. He's allowing these things to happen and he alone has the authority. He's, he is still in charge and he's still in charge today. So he's in complete control the entire time and power is given to, authority is delegated to this red horse to take peace from the earth. So these wars we're gonna look at today prophetically, they may be, some of them may happen during that red seal. Some of them may happen before the rapture of the church. Some of them may, be, may happen in between the rapture and the Antichrist rising to power. But God has all of these wars laid out in the scripture that are going to happen at some point. Now, what I've done is I've tried to put these wars in what could be a logical order of how they would unfold. And what you need to keep in mind is this is, this is me trying to put some things together for us to study but you need to go and search the scriptures for yourself and prove that these things be so. And so just don't take my word for it on the order of which I have them. Go and, go and search this out for yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you 
to teach you how, how will this unfold, God, because you want us to know everything in your word. Everything in the scripture is there by deliberate design for you and I to study and to show ourselves approved and to build our faith from Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So keep those things in mind, Acts 17, 11. You've got to search this out. And also remember three times in God's word, he says, don't add to or take away from my word. So we're trying not to add to his word or take away from it. Just write down the, the fairway, so to speak. Okay, but these wars, we're gonna look at nine of them. Jeremiah 49 is a judgment on Elam. That's the modern day Iran area that's southwest of the mountain range in between the Persian Gulf and this mountain range. We're gonna look at that first. Isaiah 17, the destruction of Damascus. Israel then takes a hit in that war. We'll look at it in Isaiah 17, which could lead to Psalms 83, this Arab-Israeli conflict, which could then lead to Ezekiel 37 of God having an exceedingly great army in Israel. Obadiah 118 is the house of Esau shall not survive. Those are the Palestinians will be cut off. Jeremiah 49.2, Jordan will surrender Ammon to Israel. Zephaniah 2, 8 through 9, after Ammon is taken over, Israel then takes over the rest of Jordan, which ultimately could lead to Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is the Russian-led invasion of the coalition between Russia, Iran, and Turkey invading Israel to take a lot of wealth. And we're going to see some very interesting things in those wars. So let's start off here. Jeremiah 49, starting in verse 34, the first one. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against Elam. Now, like I mentioned, Elam is, ancient Elam is in modern-day Iran. There's a mountain range in the southern part of Iran. And between that mountain range and the Persian Gulf is ancient Elam, biblically. So just keep that in mind. It also happens to be the area where Iran has built the Bashan, the Bashan uh, nuclear reactor. So maybe a coincidence, maybe uh, by design of, of God, because Israel is determined not to let Iran get the bomb. They're absolutely determined to do that. And the closer Iran gets to it, the more and more likely the Israeli army is likely to strike that area. Now, what you'll see here is this tends to, to lean towards some kind of nuclear event. Now look at this in the scripture. Elam, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the chief of their might. What is, where is Iran's pride right now, the chief of their might? It's in their nuclear program, constantly. They are so proud to have this nuclear program. And they, and they raise it up as the chief of their might. And upon Elam, I will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and will scatter them toward all those winds. And there shall be no nation whether the outcasts of Elam shall not come. So God has a judgment on Elam that causes all of the people of that land to scatter all over the world. So that could be some type of nuclear event. Something happens that they have to flee for I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies and before them that seek their life. And I will bring evil upon them, even my fierce anger, saith the Lord. And I will send the sword after them till I have consumed them. And I will set my throne. Now God fast forwards to the millennium. I will set my throne in Elam and will destroy from thence the king and the princes, saith the Lord. 
but it shall come to pass in the latter days I'll bring again the captivity of Elam, saith the Lord. So these people will be brought back in the latter days back to that land. So you could see the first one out of the gate could be Israel striking the nuclear program in Iran. The people of Elam are scattered all over the world until, and it's a judgment, if you notice, it was a judgment against the leadership of Iran, not against the people. And so God right now, he is not pleased with the leadership in Iran. And if you've noticed, if you're in tune with this, if you follow the voice of the martyrs or any of those ministry groups, one of the greatest moves of, of Jesus right now is in the underground church in Iran. More and more people by the multitudes are coming to the Lord in Iran and the leadership hates it. They hate the church and they hate the Jews. And so they're kind of on both, both wrong sides with Jesus right now. And, and the Lord has a stark de declaration for them from Jeremiah 49. Okay, afterwards though, in Isaiah 17, now when you see what's going on in Israel, okay, in the southwest portion you have the Gaza Strip where the Palestinians are and Hamas, right? Nine days ago, they stormed in on trucks by foot, uh, parachuting into Israel, killing women, children, taking hostages, bringing them back over to the Gaza area. And if you, I don't recommend it, but the atrocities are, they're horrible if you see any of them. What they're doing to children, to babies, to women, it's, it's brutal. These are brutal, brutal people that hate Jesus and hate God's people with a, with a fervent passion to the point they will give their life. They believe in, in Allah so much. Okay, but what the happened then, the, the Hamas came in, Hezbollah from the north, from Lebanon, has started getting engaged in the north. And Israel made a declaration, if you saw it in the news recently, about a week ago, that if Hezbollah gets involved, they are backed by Syria and Iran. They're funded by Iran and Syria, which is another reason why Jeremiah 49, the attack on Elam could happen. But Israel, Netanyahu came out and said, Hezbollah, if you get involved, we will destroy Damascus. It will not be a city anymore. And he made this declaration. Well, when you see that, that is straight out of Isaiah 17, verse 1. The burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city. It shall be a ruinous heap. Okay, God has that declaration. Damascus is the oldest inhabited city, according to archaeologists and people, but it's very much a city still. I've got a dear friend who grew up in Damascus. His parents, we, they had to go over and evacuate them in the Civil War about 10 years ago. Damascus has been at war for a long time, but it's still a city. God's word says it will be a ruinous heap, and Israel declared that just about a week ago. So you've gotta pay attention that this is, this is biblical, what they are saying. Damascus could be a ruinous heap. These are some missile exchanges over the last couple of years between the US and Israel side and Syria. This is just normal over there. They see these things all the time. But it just takes one wrong move it, and this whole thing could just go off. They are, they, and they, they fire rockets. Hezbollah fires rockets over from Syria and, and Lebanon all the time. Now, as a result, Israel will wipe out Damascus at some point, it's gonna become a ruinous heap. And during that war, Israel takes a hit, some kind of retaliatory response. 
And starting in Isaiah 17, verse 4, and in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin, and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean. So something happens that Jacob, the glory and the fatness of Israel gets dimmer, and it waxes lean somehow. And it shall be as when the harvestman gathereth the corn and reapeth the ears with his arm, and it shall be as, as he that gathereth ears in the valley of Rephaim, yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it. So despite it taking a hit, gleaning grapes shall still be left there. Israel will not be wiped out. As the shaking of an olive tree, two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bough. So God's talking about the uppermost part of Israel. Something happens up there that gets taken, taken out. It gets a hit somehow. Four or five in the utmost fruitful branches thereof, saith the Lord God of Israel. At that day, now look at this. At that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. So God is saying in that day, the entire world is going to look toward the Holy One of Israel, not Jesus the Messiah of the church, but the Holy One of Israel. And I think that's fascinating because God is saying there's something about this event that's going to cause people to take notice of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they didn't notice before. And he's starting to deal with the earth once again as the Holy One of Israel. And when you see that, you just have to search out and ask yourself, where is the church then? Where's the church in these moments? Because right now the world should be seeing God through the church because we are the indwelling vessels of the Holy Spirit going out making disciples, as Jesus said. But something about this, they are looking toward the Holy One of Israel. Now after this happens, Israel takes a hit, it could, it could lead then to the Psalm 83 war because Psalm 83 declares a war that the surrounding nations touching Israel will come against Israel to try to wipe them off the map. Now what would give them the thought that they could do that? It could be because Israel looks weakened from Isaiah 17. They've taken a hit, something's wrong, the IDF maybe is waxing lean, they're, they're low in numbers, resources, and so this coalition of Arab nations come against Israel. So let's look at Psalm 83 here. Starting in verse one. Keep, thou, keep not thou silence, O God, and hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. Now I find that kind of interesting. They that hate thee, what do all of these Islamic terrorists do? They always try to cut off heads. They that hate thee have lifted up the head. Now, As Asaph was a prominent Levite, singer and seer. He was from David's court. So this psalm is actually by Asaph. It's not by David. So the Holy Spirit wrote this through Asaph. And you can find a lot about him in 1 Chronicles 6, 39, 15, 17, 15, 19, 1 Chronicles 7, 16, 4 through 7, in 29 verse 30 in 2 Chronicles. But he's the ancestor of the sons of Asaph. He's one of the great families of the temple musicians. And it's actually his last psalm that he wrote is Psalm 83. So he wrote 50 and 71 through 83. But whoever these enemies are, they hate the Lord and they are lifting up the head. 
And that's actually what they are physically doing in Israel right now. They've taken crafty counsel in verse three here, crafty counsel against thy people, so against the people of God, and consulted against thy hidden ones. Now what I want you to take note of in verse three is that there are two different groups of people that are distinct and separate in this, that these, these Arabs have taken crafty counsel against. They are blaspheming God's people and who are Israel, the Jews, and consulted against his hidden ones. So there's something, there's a group of people that they have something against that are hidden. And I think that is amazing when you just think about the subtlety of that. Who are these hidden ones? And my question is, we all need to pray about and search this out, could this be a reference to the raptured church? Because when the church is raptured, there's a group of people that are hidden that there's a lot that breaks loose on the earth afterwards. And these people are not happy about it. So they, you could see how they would blaspheme God's hidden ones. Now, if you, if you think the rapture is not in the Old Testament, let's look at these verses here. Psalms 27, verse five. For in the time of trouble, that's the time of Jacob's trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Who's that rock? Jesus Christ. So in the time of trouble, you will be hidden. If you are in Jesus right now, you will be hidden, but you have to be born again. You have to be indwelling the Holy Spirit in you so that he will take you home before this happens. In Psalms 31, 19 through 20, oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you, you in the presence of the sons of men, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. From the plots of man, you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Now, isn't that fascinating that God wants to keep us in a pavilion, not just from all that's going on, but even to guard us from the strife of tongues, the strife of the tongues from Psalms 83 that he's con the, the enemy of Israel has consulted against us with. In Isaiah 26, 20, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, actually. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. So you and I, when the rapture happens, we will be hidden. And remember in John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So in the Jewish wedding, the model, the son, the bridegroom, after the bride agrees to the, to the covenant of marriage, the bridegroom would go to his father's house, build room additions in, in a mansion for him. And when those room additions were ready, he would go collect the bride and bring her home where those room additions are, to his pavilion. Okay, so think about that, the model here. We will be hidden in his pavilion, in our pavilions, the place that Jesus went to prepare for us as the church. Okay, now look back to Psalm 83. Look at what these people say. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. There is no one on planet earth that is more determined to make Israel extinct from the, from the earth 
than the Arab nations that surround them. They want to wipe them out and cut them off from being a people, period. Cut them off so that they're remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. So they've all come together. They are confederate against who? Against God. They're confederating against God. So they take counsel against God's people. And it's confirmed here in verse, back in verse three, it's confirmed here that his people are in this conflict are a nation named Israel. So the motivation is to wipe them out and they're trying to go against God. In verses six through eight, the tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarines, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assur also has joined with them. They have hope in the children of Lot. Selah, Selah means amen. So God lists out these, these nations, these people groups that are confederating against one another to wipe out Israel. Now in the Bible, God always uses the original name of the people groups to to distinguish who he's talking about. So one of your challenges as you study the Bible is that you've gotta figure out, for example, who is Edom? Who are the Ishmaelites? Who's Moab? Who are the Hagarines? Okay, these are all the nations surrounding Israel. So if you look on this map, Israel is in the light blue there along the Mediterranean. And here are the lists of the nations. The tents of Edom are the Palestinians and Southern Jordanians. Ishmaelites are the Saudis. Moab are the Palestinians and central Jordanians. The Hagarines are the Egyptians. Gabal is Hezbollah and northern Lebanese. Okay, then you have Ammon, the Palestinians and northern Jordanians. Amalek are the Arabs of the Sinai area. So keep that in mind. Philistia are the Hamas of the Gaza Strip. Right now, literally what you're seeing unfold. You have Tyre, which is Hezbollah and southern Lebanese and Assyria are the Syrians and northern Iraqis. So when you look on this map though, all of those flags represent those people that are surrounding Israel. They are surrounded by those that hate them. Now they're all going to confederate, come against Israel to wipe them off the map, but God intervenes and wipes them out as a result in Psalms 83. And what I also find interesting is that all of these flags have the same four colors white, red, black, and green. And it's the same colors as the four horsemen in Revelation. White, black, white red, black, and green, in the same order. And so these, this is so fascinating to me. I don't know why their flags are those colors, but God has a connection there to something. And, and we've, got, we've got to search out the scriptures. Remember what he says in Proverbs 25 too? I didn't cover that verse at the beginning, but it's in your notes. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing and the honor of kings is to search out a matter. So you and I as kings in Christ's kingdom right now, we are kings and priests according to 2 Peter 3 and the 24 elders say it in Revelation 5 and 6, 4, 5 and 6. But we have to search this out. God has a connection there that those horsemen are those same colors that surround Israel. Okay, do unto them as unto the Midianites, starting in verse nine here, as to Caesarea, as to Jabin, at the brook of Kisan, which perished at Endor. They became as dung for the earth, make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yea, all their princes of Zebah, and as Zemunah, who said, let us take to ourselves the house of God in possession. So Israel's praying, what you did to these people in the book of Judges, 
do to them now. Come back and fight for us now, as you did all the way back in the days of Judges. The petition here is for God to act, to act on behalf of his people. The Midianites, an, an Arabian tribe descended from Midian, is the fourth son of Abraham, actually, by Keturah. They inhabited the desert north of the peninsula of Arabia. That's in Genesis 25 and 1 Chronicles 1. Caesarea is the captain of the host of Jabin, the Canaanite king who reigned in Hazor, uh, routed by the army of Barak on the plain. Remember, and he was killed by, by Jael, and that's in Judges 4 and 5. Oreb and Zeb were the princes, the prince generals of Midian. Zeba and Zalmunna were their kings. They were defeated by Gideon. Remember Gideon? The men of Ephraim intercepted the Midianites and slew them with a great slaughter. That's in Judges 7 and 8. But notice the enemies of the past had the same goal in the conflict, which was to wipe out Israel. Wipe them out. And I didn't include this in the slides, but remember back to when we, in the call to action, sometimes I'd put in the slide about what Joshua didn't do there were certain areas that he was told to wipe out every man, woman, and child because they were, they were not of God, but they were illegitimate offspring, and he didn't do it. And there were some areas that he left them intact, and those are the areas, the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, um, the, the northern part there, he left those intact, and those are the same areas they dealt with in Judges and the same areas they're dealing with today because he didn't uproot that evil and cut it off from the beginning. Okay, in verse 13 here, oh my God, make them like a wheel and as stubble before the wind and as fire burneth a wood and as the flame setteth the mountains of fire, so persecute them with thy tempest and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish that men may know that thou whose name alone is Jehovah, Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. Okay, it appears the only way these people in the world will know that he alone is God is to move in this mighty judgment and the utter defeat will be supernatural and cause their faces to be filled with shame. So remember Isaiah 17, Israel takes a hit, they're weakened, okay, these nations are coming against them, God intervenes, wipes them off, and their faces are filled with shame. They're confounded and troubled forever. Okay, these are 14 things that could lead up to this Arab-Israeli conflict. Israel's regathered in the land from Ezekiel 37, 12. Ancient cities are rebuilt and inhabited from Ezekiel 36, verses one through five and eight through 10. They meet Muslim Arab resistance in Jeremiah 49, 16, Zephaniah 2, 8. Ezekiel 25, 12, all over the Bible. Israel establishes an army for a defense, okay? In Ezekiel 36, verses six through seven and 38, eight. Adjacent Muslim nations confederate in Psalms 83, one through eight. The Confederacy is committed to the destruction of Israel. The, st the, the war starts between the Confederacy and Israel in Jeremiah 49, two, eight and 19. The title is then regained for Israel as my people Israel. That's the key for us, my people Israel. And that's from Hosea 1, 8 through 10, Romans 9, 25 through 26, that blindness in part has come on Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So when the church is full, 
We are taken out and God once again is my people Israel. Ezekiel 36, eight through 12, you can see that. Israel decisively defeats the Confederacy in Obadiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, on and on. Israel has become then an exceedingly great army. According to Ezekiel 37, 10, remember the dry bones? The dry bones breathe, uh, where God breathes into them and they become an exceedingly great army. You can also find that in Jeremiah 49, 21. Israel takes prisoners of war from Jeremiah 48 and Zephaniah 2, 10, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The reign, the region is completely reshaped and the reign of Israel grows in the land. Okay, and that's in Isaiah 17, Jeremiah 49, Zephaniah 2, 4. Israel expands its borders and Israel then dwells securely in the land, setting up something very important for Ezekiel 38. So that's kind of how that could unfold. This is the land of Israel according to God. Now, when you read this in Genesis 15, God grants Abraham the land from the river Nile through Egypt to the river Euphrates through Iraq. And that's what this map represents, is greater Israel. And the land they occupy today makes up or constitutes one-tenth the size of the state of Oklahoma. That's how small the land is that they actually have right now. But this is the land they will gather. Now, what I find interesting is most of that land is covered in Psalm 83. And when they're wiped out, Israel will expand its borders and all of a sudden have a lot of wealth. They will have immense wealth from oil-rich nations, which set up the Ezekiel 38 conflict that we'll look at here in a minute. So we've gone through one through four. Let's look at, let's look at these real quick, five through eight. Afterwards, Ezekiel 37, 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. So Israel becomes a great army Obadiah 1.18, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. The house of Esau are are the Palestinians, what we call Palestine, or what the UN tries to call Palestine today. Jeremiah 49.2, therefore behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will cause an alarm of war to be heard in Rabbah of the Ammonites. And it shall be a desolate heap and the daughter shall be burned with fire. Then shall Israel be heir unto them that were his heirs, saith the Lord. So Jordan survives, but they surrender Ammon to Israel. Okay, Rabbah is Ammon. Ancient Rabbah is modern day Ammon. It's going to become the heir of Israel. In Zephaniah 2, 8 through 9, number 8 here, I have heard the reproach of Moab and the revelings of the children of Ammon, whereby they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against their border. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom and the children of Ammon as Gomorrah. Even as the, bre- the breeding of nettles and the salps and the perpetual desolation Look at that. The residue of my people shall spoil them and the remnant of my people shall possess them. So after Ammon is taken, Israel takes the rest of Jordan. And what I find fascinating about that is we know that Jordan, according to Daniel 11, does not fall under the thumb of the Antichrist. 
for some reason, he can't take over Jordan. And I think it's because that's the area from Matthew 24 that when they obey Jesus, the Jews that come to know him and obey his command in the tribulation, they flee through Jordan somehow to get to a place of security. And I think that's why it doesn't fall under the thumb of the Antichrist because it would grant a safe passage for them to make it there. Okay, this war, Ezekiel 38 and 39, so okay, keep in mind, all this has happened, this conflict, Damascus is wiped out, the, the Arab nations as a result rise up to try to take out Israel because they've taken a hit, they're lean, they're weakened, God intervenes, wipes them out, Jordan is, is, becomes land of Israel, they expand their borders, and so now you have Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Gog and Magog war. This war is the occasion in which God himself intervenes to stop this invasion by Russia, Iran, and Turkey, and Northern Africa to try to take great wealth from Israel. So think about Israel expanding their borders. None of these nations that are involved here in Ezekiel 38 and 39 were involved in Psalms 83. So it's this outer ring of nations. When you expand their border, all of a sudden when you look what touches the new border, it's this outer ring of nations. You have Russia, Turkey, Iran, and then Libya and Northern Africa. Okay, the chapter appears also to anticipate nuclear weapons from in chapter 39, so let's look at that. The Magog allies, okay, look at Ezekiel 38, starting in verses one through three. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief princes of Meshech and Tubal. Now, the Magog allies, Persia, Cush, Put, Libya, Gomar, Tagarma, Meshech, and Tubal. But who's Gog? Gog is apparently a demon title. You don't find him earlier in the Bible, and it's often not like the Lord for someone just to show up that's as significant as Gog. But in Amos chapter 7, verse 1, in the Septuagint, if you don't know what the Septuagint is, uh, the Greeks translated the entire Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek 400 years before Christ walked the earth. And they were, they were, it took, it's called Septuagint for 70. It took 70 Greek scholars to do this. And they put this together, they spent decades doing it. And they made sure it was exact and right, good translation from the Hebrew. But in Amos 7, chapter, verse 1, in the Septuagint, it says, Thus hath the Lord showed me, and behold, a swarm of locusts coming from the east, and behold, one caterpillar, King Gog. Gog is also, all the way at the end of the millennium, in Revelation, when Satan's loosed for a season, and he brings all the armies of the earth against Jesus again, Gog is there. So Gog is some kind of demonic, foul spirit, whatever you want to label it, He's been around for a long time. So he's going to bring Russia, or Magog, to war against Israel. Now Magog's confirmed as being the uttermost parts of the north. So if you're looking on a map and you put your finger on Israel and go straight north to the end, you hit western Russia. That's where Magog is, okay? They are, they are the uttermost parts of the north. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, verse four, and I'll bring thee forth and all thine army 
with thine horses, all that army with horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. The word horses here actually means a leaper. So in Jeremiah 8, 7, it meant a crane or a bird. In Exodus 14, 9, it meant a chariot rider. But these are military vehicles. Okay, that's the point. These are military vehicles. In verse 5, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Persia is, is modern-day Iran. Ethiopia, or Cush, settled south of the Nile River. And Libya settled west of Egypt, which is modern-day northern Africa, or Libya. Okay, keep those those geographic locations in mind. Gomar and all his house, all his bands, the house of Tagarma of the north quarters and all his bands, many people with thee. Gomar is apparently Eastern Germany, Poland, Czechoslovakia, that kind of Eastern European area. Tagarma means Turkey or Turkestan in verses seven and eight here. Be thou prepared and prepare thyself and all thy company that are assembled unto thee and be thou a guard unto them after many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations. And we saw that happen on May 14th of 1948. They were brought forth out of the nations to become a land again. And they shall dwell safely, all of them, Okay, this is a key characteristic. Israel, at the time of this war, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, shall dwell safely. That's not obviously, that is not happening today. But after the Psalm 83 war, they will dwell safely because God will expand their borders and wipe out the enemies. In verses nine and 11, they shall ascend and come on like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. So it's gonna be a huge army coming against them. And all thy bands and many people with them, thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at that same time shall things come into my mind and thou shalt think an evil, th an evil thought and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest. So Israel will be unwalled and at rest. Remember a few weeks ago in Zechariah, we looked at the wall that surrounds Jerusalem it's, gonna, it's somehow going to be taken down and they're gonna dwell safely. They won't need that wall. All of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. In verse 12, to, here's their motivation. To take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, that's Britain, and with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee. So all of these other nations now are talking to Russia, Iran, and Turkey, and Libya in Northern Africa saying, what are you doing? They don't get involved. Notice they don't get involved. They just ask them, what are they doing? Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey? to carry away wealth, silver and gold, and to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil. So their motivation is different, and there's a group of people dwelling carelessly out in the aisles that don't get involved, that ask questions. 
Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, thus saith the Lord God, in that day when my people of Israel dwell safely, shall thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, Russia, and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come against my people Israel. Once again, God's saying, my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land and it shall be in the latter days. There's a key word there. And I'll bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thou, O God, before their eyes. Thus saith the Lord God, art thou of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel? So that's how you know in the Old Testament somewhere God should be spoken of. And that's where we found him in Amos 7, which prophesied in those days many years I would bring thee against them. It's his coveted people, Israel. It shall come to pass at that same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury, so God's wrath, shall come up in my face for in my jealousy and the fire of my wrath. Notice it's God's wrath being poured out. It's not just him going to, to fight a skirmish. You and I, according to 2 Thessalonians 5, are not appointed to wrath. For in my jealousy and in my fear, fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day, there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. So that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountain shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord. Okay, many nations are going to know that he's God. And when you go on in Ezekiel 39, the whole chapter portrays some kind of nuclear confrontation because the leftover weapons are used by Israel for energy for seven years. There's no way they could burn you know, bows and arrows and, and swords for seven years and have energy and have all their energy supplied. That's in Ezekiel 39 verse nine. They shall burn them with fire seven years, the leftover weapons. They wait seven months before clearing the area of the battlefield. After the end of seven months shall they search, and that's in Ezekiel 39 verse 14. They shall sever out men of continual employment to clean up the battlefield in, in verse 14 in chapter 39. Those are professionals, professionals to come deal with the nuclear radiation would be the thought. They then bury all the remains of the enemies east of the Dead Sea. So think of that as being downwind. The valley of the passengers on the east of the sea, it shall, be, it shall stop the noses of the passengers and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the Valley of Hemingog. That's in verse 11. Travelers that come through, if they find an area, a body that was missed, they don't do anything with it. They mark it and alert the professionals to come take care of it. And that's all in Ezekiel 39, verse 15. Okay, so why is God allowing this invasion? It is in chapter 39, verse 7 so will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people. Again, in the midst of Israel, my people Israel. And I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So where are the immediate neighbors of Israel in this conflict? All the people we studied in Psalm 83 are nowhere to be found. They're conspicuously absent. The Lebanese, the Syrians, the Iraqis, the Jordanians, 
the Egyptians. So look at this. This is the map of the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. You have Libya, Sudan, or Ethiopia. You have Persia and Iran, Turkey, or, or Tagarma, Magog, Russia, and France and Germany somehow get involved. So it's this outer ring of nations. And if you look in the inner ring where the circle is, where Israel circled, that inner ring is who tries to fight them in Psalms 83. So you can kind of see how, how God would intervene, expand their land, and then the outer ring of nations, they become very wealthy, come and try to take all of their wealth and plunder them. And when you think about, remember when, when Russia invaded Ukraine, what's been happening to them since that war started? The entire world has cut them off economically. They are, they are hurt greatly economically. So you could see as they are, as these years continue, that they would need some form of wealth, <clears throat> the motivation behind them to come and get wealth. Now, when you look at that coalition, Russia, Syria, Turkey, and Iran, those, those nations have been bonding together and trying to coalesce together for years now. Look at these articles. Seeking access of good, I'm sure that they have good intentions there, against US, Russia taps allies of convenience. And there's Russia, Iran, and Turkey all sitting at a table together. Russia, Syria, Turkey, and Iran hold high-level talks in Moscow. These are articles from 2022 and 2023. Look a few years back further. The Turkey-Russia-Iran nexus driving forces and strategies. That was a paper put together in March 10 years ago of them starting to coalesce together. Iran, Russia, and Turkey signal growing alliance. There's the three of them all together from 2021. Okay, so those are the, the wars of how they're lined out. Now, again, you can take this for, for all it's worth. These are, these are Matt's thoughts on how this could unfold and what's been happening since then. The last one that I didn't throw into the list, but uh, actually Cassie's son brought to our attention, the judgment of Gaza. You see Gaza throughout the Bible, but in Amos uh, chapter one, six through seven, thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza which shall devour the palaces thereof. Gaza is, is under fire right now. So you could be looking at Amos 1, 6 through 7 there, but it's all over. So all of these wars, you know, they may not be included in the sealing, the unsealing of the red horse. I think Ezekiel 38 and 39, because Israel uses their weapons for energy for seven years, it has to start before the tribulation begins. And I say that because the back half of the tribulation for three and a half years, Israel's on the run, running for their life, hiding in the wilderness. They're, they have and they flee, they flee Jerusalem, they're not there. So how could they use the weapons for energy for seven years if they're not even in the land? And I think that's kind of fascinating. But our challenge right now as the church is to wake up. We have got to wake up because that we've got to search out the scriptures and you right now, you have a call on your life in these last days, in the end times. God wants to do something radical through you in Luke 19, verse 13, remember what he tells us? To occupy till I come. So when you see all of this going on, you cannot let a spirit of fear 
get uh, even a little foothold in your life to cripple you and to get you to draw back and to not be about God's business. You've got to occupy and look up because our redemption draws closer. The more this unfolds, the more and more it grows closer. And when you look at Romans 9, verses 25 through 26, God will once again, in the place that he called them, my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. And God's quoting Hosea 1, 8 through 10. They will be called the children of God again. And he, he calls them that during a lot of these wars. So they rejected Jesus and he's working through the church right now. But we, there's going to come a time very quickly that the entire earth is focused once again on Israel. Now you right now, because they didn't drive out the inhabitants of the land, they, they are dealing with this today. But it, that same concept in Numbers 33, 54 through 55 applies to us as the church. If you do not drive out of your life somewhere the enemy has a foothold, you are letting it linger and God cannot work with you. He wants all of you. He wants you totally surrendered to him. You've gotta drive out anything in your life and eradicate it totally for good. Anything that the enemy sought to beset you in or keep you chained to, God wants to set you free. So if you are here right now and you have something in your life that you need to surrender to him, please, please do not wait and do it today. Go home, get on, the knee, on your knees in your bedroom alone and surrender that to Jesus for that he drives out the inhabitants in your life that are crippling you right now. You've got to do that. And if you're here and you're not born again, it is so simple, Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So do not leave this place. Get saved, get born again before he calls us home so that you have a one-way ticket out of here before any of those wars start and what we're looking at. Please surrender your life to Jesus right now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. God, we do lift up Netanyahu and Israel to you. We pray peace in Israel. We pray peace in Gaza. We pray peace in Northern Israel. We pray protection over your people. We pray that God, you would give the church a little more time to stand up and declare their Messiah to them and get as many Jews converted as we can. Lord, we know in the tribulation from Zechariah 13 that two out of three Jews are killed during the tribulation, but God, that is a ratio and not a number, and we pray that we, that your word and that your Holy Spirit would move through and get many of them saved to reduce that number. Bring them into the ark that is you, Jesus. And God, when you call us home and you shut the door behind us, we will, we will have the most important time in our lives, standing before the throne of our Messiah and worshiping you, Jesus, and we thank you for that opportunity. Lord, we pray that if anyone is out there within the sound of, of this message, that they are not saved, that Lord, they yield their lives to you, that they get born again right now from the ends of the earth and back, 
let your word not return in void. And we thank you for it. Be with us as we leave this place. And God, call and give each one of us discernment on the call you have for our lives in these days. We thank you for this study. We thank you for your word. And God, we pray your protection on our children in the week ahead, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.